Luke's Gospel, stories with Luke on and off. And we're going to be doing in August a series on work, so get excited for that. We'll continue with Luke for June, July. Also during June, July, a few different things. One of them is that Bob Slocky and David King are coming back, those Aboriginal Christian guys, and that's going to be cool. I met with them. Gee, they're cool guys. They, they were there at the, the North Face 100 Ultra Marathon at the 50K mark, I think it was, and there's Bob playing the didge and Dave doing an Aboriginal dance to encourage the runners who were pretty delirious by 50Ks and still had another 50Ks to go. So those guys are really cool and I'm excited that they're coming in June. Um, we've been dipping into Luke and then doing other things and then dipping in again, so it's, it's been a bit piecemeal. But we've really liked that, Glenda and I. We've loved that we've had time to process each story and there's been so much there that has been challenging. Jesus teaching us about love and one of the things is being generous with our possessions. So we've been at, at home, a lot of discussion around what that means and in our missional community and uh, we were realising that we've had 35 different people over since January to our house so far and just wanting to overnight, yeah, overnight stayers and many more who, of course, in other ways, but really trying to be generous with this wonderful home that we've been given and just trying to take seriously what Jesus is teaching us here in Luke's Gospel which all centres around love. Tonight, I want to look at Jesus' compassion in the story we just read where he raises this widow's son from the dead. Last time, we looked at Jesus in the home of Simon the Pharisee where a prostitute comes in and she's loving on Jesus, as the Americans say, and he receives her love. And it's quite profound how he gives her the space to love him the way that he does. And we talked about that. Well, this story is just before that story and we're really wanting to zone in now on how Jesus relates to this woman. So let's first set the scene, then really look at Jesus' compassion for this woman. What does it mean for us? We know a lot about Jewish funerals at the time. Uh, the body was placed in the home. The best suit of clothes available was placed on the body. The nails were trimmed. The hair was trimmed. The mother would sit on the floor and weep. Then people would arrive for the procession. Everyone was expected to come. And just before they headed off from the house, they'd turn the furniture around and reverse all the furniture as a measure of the sadness. And then they would head off outside the city gates to the graveyard. Uh, and it says the procession was coming out of the city. The pallbearers didn't wear shoes and frequently changed hands so that everyone bore the burden. The woman, the widow in this case, and other women with her went ahead of the procession because in Jewish tradition women had brought sin into the world and symbolically they were taking sin out of the city. It's not the Christian understanding. It was a time of anguish. Uh, there were paid mourners weeping and wailing. They were following on behind the coffin. It was very loud. It was a huge crowd wailing. You might have uh, seen on the news a Middle Eastern funeral when someone has been killed. That was the scene. Most people dressed in black. And the sadness of this particular funeral or just incredible. She'd already lost her husband. Now she loses her only son. It was devastating. And one of the sayings they had was, Weep with her all who are bitter of heart. 
And there they are carrying the coffin. It was an open wicker basket because they didn't want to touch the dead body. It would defile you. The city of Nain, uh, across the valley here at the southern end of Galilee where Jesus spent most of his time, just south of Nazareth where Jesus uh, grew up. It's about a day's journey from Capernaum where Jesus was coming from this particular day. It's a beautiful place and you can see how beautiful it is. Nain means pleasant, so that's why they called it Pleasant. Mount Tabor is to the north. The hills block the view to Nazareth. And again, it's about one day's journey from Capernaum where Jesus left early that morning. We know that funerals were about 6 p.m. at night, so that fits in with Jesus leaving Capernaum early in the morning. He would have been arriving just as the funeral was processing out of the city gates. So it all sort of hangs together. So there's this crowd mourning and wailing coming out of the city. There would have been two or three hundred people there. And then Jesus is approaching also with a crowd. You just notice that. And it's a larger crowd. Uh, if you do the math and work out how many people were with Jesus at this time of his life, you know, one, two or three thousand people would have been travelling with him on the road. So a huge crowd with Jesus, exuberant, happy with the Lord of life, and they come face to face with death, this crowd coming out of the city mourning. So the two crowds meet. So how does Jesus relate to this woman? Well, let's firstly list everything that he does in this story. If you'd like to yell out, what does Jesus do? Firstly, what, is, what happens? What does he do? He stopped, yeah. Took in the scene and he saw her. So the first thing was he saw her. Secondly, has compassion. Yeah, his heart goes out to her. Thirdly, yeah, he goes to her and comforts her. Don't cry. Be not crying. Then what? Yeah, he touches the beer and raises the sun. And finally, do you notice what happens at the very end? That Jesus does. He yeah, presents the son back to his mother. So let's look at this. The first thing in, in verse 13 is he saw her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. So seeing in this story comes before compassion. The seeing of this woman leads Jesus to feel compassion for her. Marty talked about this when we did the Good Samaritan and Ali put it up on Facebook. See, feel, love is the order of things and the feeling comes out of the seeing. The compassion comes out of Jesus' seeing. Or another way to say this is, for Jesus, seeing is a separate activity. So the fact that he saw her is not just a filler phrase that Luke threw in for good effect. It's very important. Jesus looked at this woman. This is mentioned so many times in the stories about Jesus you would not believe. Uh, it was clear that Jesus looking at people was very much part of how he loved them. 
And I, what I find absolutely amazing is that as Luke researched this, the eyewitnesses specifically noted Jesus looked at her. Now let's think about this seeing of her for a minute. There's a big group of women out front, perhaps 30 or 40 women. They're all mourning, they're weeping. Um, if I looked at just one person in this room, how would you know I was looking specifically at that person? What would it be about the way I was looking? Facing them? My eyes? Something about my eyes? So if I chose out one person, <laughs> then I'm telling you who it is, uh, and I'm looking at her, what is it about how I'm looking at her where people knew that I was looking at her? Right. Yes. So it's intent, it's, it's focus, it's, yeah. And so frequently in the Gospels, it's mentioned how Jesus looked at people. The second thing is the eyewitnesses noticed that as he looked at this woman, he had compassion. And this gets back to the eyes, I think, actually. Um, the quality of his eyes. Uh, his heart went out to her. I mean, we know what anger looks like, you know, bulging veins perhaps or it's the different types of anger, but um, sulking of some sort or maybe withdrawal or, or it might be a red face or whatever, uh, bulging veins, I guess, in anger. But what does compassion look like? Soft, soft, maybe soft eyes. Uh, how sort of a, what's open? Open heart, but how, what does that look like externally? Something physical that's showing an open heart. What? Right. Right. So maybe a sense that he's almost bending towards her. So soft eyes, there's an openness, maybe reaching out to touch. And he does go to her uh, straight after this. Yeah. So all of those things, a certain gaze, there's something in the quality of the eyes, perhaps tears. And a combination of these things would have been noticed on Jesus' face and in his stance. It was visible to people, the eyewitnesses, report this. And if I was standing next to Jesus while this was happening and I asked him a question, he may not have answered me. And I might have looked up and realised, oh, he's looking at that woman. And, oh, okay, he's clearly moved with compassion. Compassion is the most frequently mentioned emotion that Jesus has in the Gospels. Quite surprising. Compassion is almost, I mean, it's incredible that in the midst of this crowd and the crying, the wailing, if there's thousands of people all around, his compassion was so marked that people noticed it, even in that throng. And remember, Jesus seeing fed that compassion. His heart was moved because he saw her. What he saw was the foundation of how he was moved. So to understand Jesus' heart, all we need to do is look at this woman. What is Jesus seeing? She's lost her son. She has no husband. 
It doesn't appear that there's any other family with her at the beginning of the procession. She's lost everything. Her son would have been her Medicare, her future, her pension, her friendship, her support, her protection. No husband, no son, no family. And Jesus sees that. And Jesus is thinking about that. So compassion is very simple. We see what's going on in people's lives. We see the reality that they're experiencing. And we're moved by that. It's not complicated. Our hearts then begin to feel what they're feeling. And then look at what this compassion does. What happens next is he goes to her. He doesn't go to her son at first. (laughs) He first goes to this woman and says, be not crying. And then he goes to her son, raises him from the dead, and then comes back to her. I, I think this is quite, this is something I've been really reflecting on. It really strikes me that he, Jesus is so focused on this woman. Not just her problem of her dead son. Like he's not a fix-it guy. Like a lot of us guys, we just want to fix the problem, but we forget the person. Hey, babe, I just want to, I'll fix your, your issue, but we, we'll forget about our wives and, and her as a person. Jesus has none of that. This whole scene is Jesus is continually caring for this woman. He does fix her problem. He does go and raise this boy from the dead. But he goes first to her, comforts her, raises the the boy and then brings the boy back to her. So I think there's something in there for us that as we try to fix people's issues that we're not to forget about the person themselves. Uh, In a sense, it wasn't necessary for Jesus to take this boy back to his mother. If it was me, I'd be looking at my watch, I need to get on to the next thing. (laughs) But Jesus takes that time, that extra step, and okay, here he is, and gives him back to her. It's not just your problem that I'll solve, but it's you I care about. So what does this teach us about love? What is the pattern of love? It teaches us about authority as well, that Jesus is majestic. He raises a boy from the dead. And the way he touches the beer and everyone stops, wow, what authority. He doesn't have to sort of say to everyone, stop, wait a minute. He just touches that coffin. What authority, what glory. But let's not talk about that tonight. Let's talk about the way he loves this woman. And that it's the very structure of the gospel. See, what is the gospel? We have a burden. We do not love as we ought. We are under sin. We have the burden of sin and we deserve death. We don't care for widows. We put women at the head of processions and blame them for the sin in the world. And all the things that we do where we do not love one another and we deserve death for that. And all that Jesus can do for us is come in and bear that sin and death upon himself on the cross. So what happens here where he bears this woman's burden is like a microcosm of the cross. It's the cross a million times less intense. 
In other words, this is the very structure of love that we're called to. We are called to love like this. To have compassion and to bear each other's burdens. So here's a diagram of what this means. The bottom building block of how we love each other is to see. Um, A total focus on each other. Looking at each other intently. When I'm with you, I'm really with you. I'm watching, I'm looking at your face. What are you going through? What do you need? What are your burdens? What do you want me to do? How can I help? So often we just skip that step and then everything doesn't really follow. So this is our first issue. You are important, not just your problem. Then that feeds compassion. Uh, I feel your world and its pain and I begin to bear your pain in my own heart. Uh, I enter your hopes and your fears and your longings and your despair. Uh, But I don't just leave those. I then bear that with you. And that will lead to a real death. It's going to cost me money. It's going to cost me time. I'm going to have to reorganise my schedule. Um, I won't be able to enjoy some of the freedoms I would have liked to have enjoyed. There will be death associated. It will crush my life and reduce my life and limit me in some way to bear your burden. Um, So this is the movement of love and then true intimacy coming out of that. It's the simple thing of what Jesus is calling us to, to, to see, to have compassion, to bear each other's burdens, to take up our cross in that and then to come into this wonderful intimacy. This week I heard of a woman with a disabled child and um, what was amazing about this mother was that she focused on her boy all day long. He would go to a school and he had great difficulty get, getting upstairs and so she'd be praying all day that God would help her get up those stairs. At lunchtime the other kids wouldn't sit with him And so she knew when lunch was, she knew his schedule, so she'd be praying all through lunch that God would be with him through that experience. Uh, He was always on her heart and in her mind. She was attentive to him. She was seeing him and that was leading her heart to go out to him and she was therefore bearing his burden with him. One of the most beautiful examples of this kind of love is Psalm 119. If you know it, a lot of us love this psalm. People talk about Psalm 119 as about the omniscience and the omnipresence of God. He's everywhere, he knows everything. And that's certainly true. But another way to see Psalm 139 is it's about God's love for us. Simple as that. That God knows everything about us. You know, Even before we're born, he sees us. When we're sitting down, he sees us. When we stand up, he sees us. When we're lying on our bed at night, he's watching us. Wherever we go, we cannot get away from his presence. He was, he's coming with us. And it's almost uncomfortable to realise that God loves us that much. That, we, that his mind is full of us and that his heart is constantly going out to us. Um, when we struggle to love, we can always come back to that. <laughs> when I'm struggling to love, because it does require a death, 
I can remember that even in that struggle to love, he is watching me and his heart is going out to me. And that then helps me to, to love. A wife finds it hard to get up in the morning. Her husband knows her. He sees that. And so he's getting up earlier, getting a cup of coffee and putting it under her nose. <laughs> she loves coffee. Every morning she wakes to the smell of coffee with her husband standing there with the coffee under her nose. That is what we're talking about. The reverse of that would be a wife wants to pray regularly with her husband, but they can't work out a time because of their busy schedules. And he just accuses her of putting a burden on him, you know. And so they go and see their pastor and he deals with this with them and gives them some homework to go and work out a time when they can pray together. They come back next week. They haven't worked out a time to pray together because he's avoiding the topic constantly. I hear this kind of thing often with men. That is the opposite of what Jesus is talking about here. We need to see. Love is when her problem becomes my problem. When I feel what she is desiring myself because I see her. And so I'm motivated and take responsibility with her. I share the burden of the problem and lift that weight off her. That is what love is. So I'm just working at thinking about Glenda. Sorry, Glenda. <laughs> All day. What is, this, what is she going through? What are her hopes? What are her joys? Um, my heart going out to her. Constantly. Relating to children. Let's be so aware of our children that we know what they're going through so that our hearts go out to them. Because this move towards other people, this leaning towards them, as we said, is the very structure of the love of God. It's the gospel. Some words I'd use for this whole idea of compassion would be looking, concentrating, focusing, cherishing. Or... Love is looking at another person, who they are and their needs and maintaining that focus over time no matter how those needs impact me. You are important. And of course the command, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved and cherished the church. You know, Christ is our model. He concentrates and is on us and is aware of us constantly. He is the living Embodiment of Psalm 139. A loving, cherishing, of course, is not hard. We do it with idols. Uh, an idol is something that our mind falls to constantly. When we're at rest, suddenly we're thinking and dreaming about our idol. So it's not hard to focus and concentrate. What we need to do is get that concentration off the idol and on to the people who are close to us. But we can do it. It's how we're created. And this compassion of Christ is everywhere in the Gospels. <coughs> His looking leading him to compassion. So the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus looked up at the crowd and they were like sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them. The rich young ruler, he looked at him and loved him. At the tomb of Lazarus, 
When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who were weeping uh, with her weeping too, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. When he came to Jerusalem near the end of his life, Jesus saw Jerusalem and wept. One of the best ways we can be motivated for evangelism and mission is to actually spend a day or an afternoon looking at the people in our neighbourhood, just sitting there watching, seeing, paying attention, concentrating on what's going on in their life. And then we will be moved with compassion to weep over our own city. And then on the cross, Jesus almost out of his mind with pain and still looking at people and seeing their need. Amazing. I'll end with a story from Corrie Ten Boom. This comes from the book In My Father's House. A person who influenced my life in my late teens was a man from India. As a boy, he had come to hate Jesus. He knew about God, but the Bible of the Christians was a book which he believed was a gigantic lie. Once he took a Bible and burned it, feeling that with this act he could publicly declare his scorn for what he believed were the untruths it contained. When missionaries passed him, he threw mud on them. But there was a terrible unrest inside of him. He longed to know God. He told this story about himself. Although I had believed and I had done a very good deed by burning out of the Bible, I felt unhappy. After three days, I couldn't bear it any longer. I rose early in the morning and prayed that if God really existed, he would reveal himself to me. I wanted to know if there is an existence after death, if there was a heaven. The only way I could know for sure was to die, so I decided to die. I planned to throw myself in front of the train which passed by our house. Then suddenly something unusual happened. The room was filled with a beautiful glow and I saw a man. I thought it might be Buddha or some other holy man and then I heard a voice, How long will you deny me? I died for you. I've given my life for you. And then I saw the pierced hands of Jesus Christ. This was the Christ I had imagined as a great man who once lived in Palestine, but who died and disappeared, and yet now stood before me alive. I saw his face looking at me with love. Three days before I had burned the Bible, and yet he was not angry. I was suddenly changed. I saw him as Christ, the living one, the saviour of the world. I fell to my knees and knew wonderful peace, which I'd never known before. That was the happiness that I'd been seeking for such a long time. And Corrie Ten Boom, who was a Dutch prisoner of war, was a teenager at the time of this camp, listening to this guy. And that weekend, she says, I listened to him I was amazed but disturbed. He told me of visions he had seen of how he really saw Jesus Christ, just as Paul had seen Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. But here is a man. He'd seen Jesus. And then one boy ventured to ask the question that we all wanted to know. Please, sir, how did Jesus look? And he put his hands before his eyes and said, Oh, his eyes, his eyes are so beautiful. Since then I have longed to see Jesus' eyes.